This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, and welcome to Having New Eyes, a podcast to help you look at things differently, to think, to reflect, to ask questions. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust. And now here's your hosts, Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. Everybody's talking about how the world's gonna end. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Having New Eyes, Episode 9. This morning I was thinking about, well, order and disorder, order versus disorder. How can I shake things up? A light bulb came on in my head, and, and I said, all right, I'm going to start this uh, episode by uh, broadcasting live from my phone on Periscope. So I got my phone camera set up and uh, uh, launched the app, and they had changed their privacy policies and login, and I could not log in. <laughs> so I said, well, uh, I guess they disrupted my flow, uh, my creativity, and, and uh, my order of things, or at least my plan anyway. Uh, a good example. So uh, maybe one day we'll be live on video and audio and have guests, who knows, but uh, baby steps. We're starting small, and uh, so let's just get back to basics. I thought, well, you know, order, first thing that comes to mind maybe is law and order or the just the general kind of arrangement of things, and I realized, well, information architecture was something I, I've done most of my uh, uh, web design career. Interaction design has a lot to do with the order of things, hierarchy, how things are arranged on a web page, what really disrupts that? How much our industry, if I can say that, really our, maybe it's just our discipline of web design has to do with the order and experience of someone interacting with a website. Is it a pleasant experience? Can they get from point A to point B smoothly? What about the entire buying experience from when, hey, I think I'd like to uh, buy a new phone or, or maybe I'd like to check out that new program on, on uh, TV. Let me go to this website and see uh, what's for sale. Let me check the, what, what's the price on Amazon. And from that experience all the way to, well, let's see, let's just have them ship it to me. Well, should we buy this package? Should we, those are the, that's the natural order of things. And what, what disrupts that now? So that's kind of a simple application of what we're going to talk about today. But I think it's very relevant. And I think it has uh, a lot to do with making us all comfortable. And we're going to talk about a lot of things that make us both comfortable and a little bit uncomfortable, because disorder is, uh, is in the works. And so I will bring in our, as I have said now, our resident historian, educator extraordinaire, Jim Jones from Brookline, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bob. Bob, it is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area we call the Twilight Zone. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I had to bring in the 1959 intro by Rod Serling to the Twilight Zone because if you remember the show, or now they show the reruns of it constantly, it was a show about things that were happening in a very Kafka-esque environment. Weird things happening. They made a, a movie. Uh, about it at one time, you know, where someone, uh, a, a window passenger is seeing gremlins on the, on the wing of the airplane. Uh, strange things are happening. And I see us very similar to that description that I just gave, in which strange things are happening. We're in this in-between moment. 
the moment of flux, if you will, if you want to call in a scientific or a physics term. Just to give you an idea of how uh, strange of a time it is, when you started quoting, I thought, are, are you quoting uh, Joe Biden's acceptance speech to at the Democratic National Convention? He talked about lightness and darkness. And yes, said, oh, he did. Yes, he did. But the fact that it was actually a quote from the Twilight Zone just shows kind of where we're at, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, no matter where you are in the political spectrum. Yeah, that's uh, you can kind of say, oh, interesting <laughs> acceptance speech, Twilight Zone. Where are we? I think it's very apropos because we are in this situation of flux between what we used to recognize as our order into, wait a minute, what's happening? We talk about people who have this kind of news fatigue, this fatigue of the negative things that are happening. What's going to happen today? And I, I... can't help but think of certainly from cultural history things like the twilight zone or even i'm sitting in the back room of our uh, condo uh, here in brookline and i'm sitting in the midst of several thousand albums vinyl albums and i can't help but think of the temptations 1970 song ball of confusion People moving out, people moving in. The, why? Because the color of their skin. Run, run, you can't hide. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Vote for me, I'll set you free. Segregation, determination, demonstration, in- integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to my nation, evolution, revolution, gun control, sound of soul, shooting, ball of confusion. And I think for many people, it's saying they're saying there's just too many things happening at once that are disturbing what we used to see as the natural order of things in our lives. Those lyrics bring back bring back memories. It doesn't take a lot. It is, as soon as you say some of those words, that that even starts to bring in bring in images of of other lyrics and other and other songs. Well, you know, we we have had several types of disruptions recently from the pandemic, which introduced disruptions in the way business runs and employment and our educational system and so on. This is not new to the world, certainly, and the United States. We've had famous disruptions in history like wars when families were disrupted because we were sending troops to the Middle East and that was going to change their lives forever and the consequences would be long-lasting. We've had these hurricanes that have hit our country and from Katrina on that have disrupted areas of the country, but in a way they disrupt the rest of the country too because we now have through the media a bird's eye view of what's happening in these areas. I had a daughter-in-law that went to Haiti after the huge hurricane down there. And it was unbelievable how she recorded to us and would send these videos of the destruction that she was seeing and encountering. And it's, it's just like, wait a minute, what is reality anymore? It doesn't exist. We had diseases before, you know, certainly in the country that have tested us. We've had the here in Boston, The disruption of reality and disorder became when the Boston Marathon uh, bombing occurred. And because of that, we were in lockdown because they were hunting down a killer. And it was fear of the unknown. What neighborhood is Sarnayev in and everything? Going back in history, we had the Montgomery bus boycott. Here you have women that decide to, a group of women that decide in 1955 and 56 for a year, four days after the arrest of Rosa Parks, you know, we can't sit where we want to on the bus, so we're just going to disrupt. We're going to create disorder in the transportation system, and for a whole year, they do not ride buses. The bus system in Montgomery, Alabama is losing $3,000 a day. People are having difficulty, but the community uses its imagination and says, we'll 
get people, we'll enlist people who have cars to drive these maids to work, to drive other people to work. And they bust, they bust the system and people are allowed to ride the buses after a year and sit any place that they want to. Personally, I've had disorder in our life. You know, we're planning our fall season. Okay, we're going to go to Oregon and see our kids and granddaughter. We're going to go to Paris. Well, those plans have been canceled because, uh, you know, we're not going to be traveling. We don't want to take the risk of traveling. And then I think back also in history of, you know, 1956, the order of the world is destroyed because Elvis is wriggling his groin on public television programs and music will never be the same. Of course, you know, now that seems mild compared to 2020 when Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are doing the WAP video, the WAP video, and people are complaining about how risque and everything it is. We have these moments when disorder is created and history tells me, you know what? We find ways creatively to resume the order. You know, it's like a it's like a flow. It's like an up and down sign curve where we have these points. We're saying, oh my God, they might be tipping points, as we've mentioned before. And we dip down into this dissonance in our lives, this disorder in our lives. And then we find ways to restore that. So, you know, I believe that this topic, as several before have been, is very relevant to the moment. But again, I'm looking with new eyes about what we're actually seeing and how we actually respond to these moments. We, we can't get away from the, the disorder and disruption, n- not just from the coronavirus, but that effect, that, that moment in uh, April of 2020 when we launched the podcast, unfortunately. But the, most, of the, most of the country, most of the world are realizing you know, I can't go into work and I can't send my kids to school. And uh, that rapid uh, adjustment to, you know, life as we knew it and now life as we know it, the infamous new normal, that was, a, that was just a giant disruption to, well, obviously our economy, but just to how people go about their daily lives. Just a week ago, uh, one of our uh, VPs at AT&T sent a memo saying, look, you know, I, I have kids at home too. I understand we we're you know, kind of, we're all in this together and uh, we need to make sure that this is uh, not just a, a discussion of, you know, do you want to telecommute or not or, or go into the office or not? We're having to handle different, uh, our natural order is being disrupted. And uh, it's not a typical back to school year and it's not a typical work year. It's not a typical anything. And you mentioned, you know, events, and, and I think back, you mentioned the hurricane, but when I think of Katrina, and because we've lived in New Orleans and we spent some time with family, there, there's nothing like seeing a house or an area or a street where you've either lived or you spent time visiting friends, living, staying there, being there, and then it's washed away. And you go back a couple of years later, and there's not even a a, a stoop or a walkway. There's just it's a grassy it's a grassy lump of uh, not even rubble. It's it's pretty much flat. There there's nothing there. Maybe one or two houses on that street. It affects you in a way that you you really don't expect. And I know I think people have this all the time. But I think now, because of the coronavirus and because of so many, the confluence, and and we talked about this, of of, um, kind of the perfect storm of of several major things that are taking place right now, you know, that puts us beyond a a, a tipping point, if you will. It's different, but it's also that sense of how are we going to handle this disorder? How are we going to respond? How do we make sense of it? How do we react? And, and uh, I, I mentioned Joe Biden, but I, I think we're just going to hear that kind of narrative no matter what or no matter who's speaking about, you know, there's a way to get out of this, but it has to be restoring some semblance of order, even though it's going to be a different order in the future. You know, we grow up and we learn 
about order. We learn it in our family. We're going to usually rise at a certain time and have breakfast, which will consist of a a certain small menu of things. We know that we might have our chores and dad will go off to work. And in my case, mom was going to stay at home and pack our lunches. And there was an order to our lives. We get to school. We get into another institution from family institution. And we go into the educational institution. And we learn order. We sit in our desk properly. We line up properly. We learn that there are hierarchies in the teacher and our classroom is at the top and we have our place. We go into jobs in the business world and we look around and we say, okay, certain people have titles and there's an order. And so we, we are surrounded by this. Even on a larger level, we learn that there is a certain order within the country about how things operate. And especially like now, there are elections and people are elected and we will have leaders. But along the way also, we learn about whether these things are considered cultural or other things. We learn about things like Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I think we're seeing this now. We learn about, or at least that I did in school, and again, I'm no science great, but we learn about entropy, about how things break down, or if you will, I'm not trying to go you know, over-intellectualizing here, but the second law of thermodynamics, which is a measure of what happens when disorder occurs within a system. Think of it sort of like you've got two libraries. One library, you walk in, And you go in and all the sections are lined up by fiction and biography and science and history and everything is on the shelves. And you go into another library and it's got the same amount of matter. It's got the same amount of books, but there's one big giant pile of books strewn right in the middle of the entryway there. Disorder, breakdown of the system. And when that happens, We're thrust also along with it because this is our world. This is the reality that we once knew. And so we are like in that temptation, like in the temptation song, we are in our ball of confusion as I see it. But again, thinking about these things, we as human beings have ways of doing that using our imagination. I didn't realize in physics, there, there's actually the, a term, order and disorder, that designates the presence of absence of some symmetry of correlation in a many particle system. So whatever that means. I don't know what you just said. I don't know either, but it, that's why I broke it down into two libraries. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good example. I can handle that. You know, I, I, I believe that uh, as I look around, use my eyeballs to check out what's on the landscape here. That what we humans do is we use our imagination, but we have one source that we go back to, and that's our rituals. I see people going back to the things that are orderly, celebrating birthdays every year. Although now we have to use our imagination. And have you seen this new plastic cover that goes over birthday cakes? You know, now people are worried about if we blow out the candles, we're going to get some of the spittle on the cake. Ooh, who wants to eat that piece of cake? So they have a plastic covering that goes over the top of the cake and the candles go on top. So you can blow out the candles and then remove the plastic and bingo, the cake is ready to eat. We're going to have our birthday parties. It's summer. We're going to go to the beach. We may not always be wearing masks, but you can count on it. There's going to be an exodus to the beach. Baseball is going to begin. Well, a version of baseball. You know things are weird around here, and it's not normal, and there is disorder when the Red Sox are in the cellar, but at least we're saying we're trying to maintain these rituals. Heck, I even saw the other day they're starting to sell Halloween candy, so we're expecting that ritual to occur. You know, we're, we're launching, we're making the Mars la- uh, launch into outer space. Magazine sales have increased. And the other thing is I see religious festivals being celebrated. Among my Jewish friends, I see about Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah is going to be uh, celebrated. 
going to the local Catholic church, you can see the announcement for local masses being celebrated. Music festivals and concerts, they're going on to maintain those rituals. They might be online, but we're trying, I see, to maintain these rituals, among others, that will help us feel a sense of this reality that we once do. Because now, for a lot of us, we don't have a shared reality. You can tell this from politics. Some people are saying, yeah, the country is doing great. This administration is doing fine. We're fine the pandemic. And other people are saying, what are you talking about? We've got a hundred and some thousand deaths. The economy is broken. So again, I see this as, a, as kind of a, a way of looking at virtual reality versus what is real. And that's, I think a big question that resides internally, not externally, about how we're going to deal with these things. I guess you can't you can't go on very very much uh, longer without talking about the disorder with the U.S. Postal Service. Yes, the the debate was kind of clear for a little while whether or not this was something uh, subversive or not, or and whether or not it it had to do with the elections. But then a couple of weeks into the changes in the in the postal service that that were uh, dictated from the, the head of the postal service, people were not getting their medications. People were not getting the things that they counted on. It wasn't just, oh, hey, I'm not getting as much uh, junk mail as I used to, or I'm not getting that postcard from Jim very often. It was my grandmother isn't getting the medication that she's, she relies on getting through the mail. And uh, recently here in San Antonio, we just had the representative come come and actually inspect where were these machines uh, turned off and uh, what was happening. And uh, and then the story broke today where uh, a letter carrier said, well, he said basically it's worse than what he saw because he was only shown the machines that were set aside and was told what they could handle if they were in action. But uh, no one told them that they moved all the mail that they had stacked up that hasn't been delivered uh, and, and hid it from his view. So it's, uh, this is a major you know, disruption and disorder to, the thing, to, to something that we rely on. I, I think probably, Jim, it's going to take more than imagination for us to overcome this, this, this problem or this uh, disruption of order. That's uh, the U.S. Postal Service and obviously all the impacts that everyone's talking about that it may uh, or may not have on the election. Well, I disagree because, first of all, we have an organization whose commitment stated in their purpose of the Postal Service, their mission statement is, quote, to bind the nation together through correspondence, unquote. Well, great. I certainly partake in that. That is certainly a ritual that me and many other people participate in. But I think what happens is, and I, again, I will go back to this idea of imagination. Rather than thinking about external ways that change is created, I believe that internally we as human beings have a capacity to respond to some extremely violent, extremely aggressive, extremely beyond our normal reality activities or events and to change them. When Roosevelt takes over in 1933, yes, he's making some external changes in the country, but he's also asking for people to be resilient. That's something from within. I'm thinking of JFK in 1960 where in his inaugural address, he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I believe part of that is our activities, yes, but the imagination that we have as human beings to respond to emergencies. And that includes a bunch of different ways. Look, I have a granddaughter who, because of the pandemic, the parents, uh, our, our daughters, their parents, decided not to send her. So they, along with some other parents, got creative and they said, 
let's have these things called now pods. And I see them on television and I see little stories uh, in the news where groups of parents get together and say, let's have a small group of kids that know each other. And I'm talking about anywhere from three to 10. And we will have them learning together in these pods instead of going into the system where there's a lot of uncertainty in education right now. And they're still arguing over this nationally and locally about whether teachers will strike because they want their safety. So I see that people are being creative. And you know what? This goes back to our very first episode, asking the question about our identity. Who are we in the midst of crisis? What is our identity? Who am I as a parent when I see crisis and I'm responsible for my child's learning? Who am I as an individual when I see both sides of our country torn apart and making accusations with each other and disagreeing? Who am I to respond? One of the I talked a little while ago about how we learn in school about hierarchies. One of the things we also learn, well, at least I did, the good old USA, freedom, equality, justice. These are ideals. Maybe this is not the exact wording, but it was pretty close. This is the greatest country on the face of the earth. And now, all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of things and I'm saying, wait a minute, is this, this democracy work? Is this working for us? Look at all the challenges. So it's really my identity and the identity and soul of our country being tested about how we will respond and how we will endure and prevail. I'm thinking, Jim, I'm, I'm thinking, is, is imagination going to be enough? Is small groups of people acting, like you say, to create a better situation for their small group of people, uh, you know, creating small education pods? that that's great how do we solve the problems though of the of the larger group how do we real you know we've talked about the issue with uh face-to-face -face education and when i talked about the high school in atlanta uh a further update on that situation the the high school i i asked the the parent i said well what happens when your when your uh when your teenage daughter does go go to school what is it like to wear a mask or uh, how is mask wearing or social distancing being uh, affected? How is it affecting them? And uh, the reply was, oh, you, you don't even want to know. If you wear a mask, you're, you're shunned, you're made fun of, you're ridiculed, you know, typical high school stuff. I get that. But now it's applied to this to where it involves not just your social economic status or your social status, but your your health or or your physical well being, and uh, yes, uh, you know teenagers are going to be teenagers and they're going to act in that way. But how how do we affect change or how do we restore order to the larger institutions? How do we respond to? Um, the disruption in the postal service. How do we respond to the disruption in education, or uh, you know, fill in the blanks? A, B, C. You know, there's systemic racism, and uh, I, I I agree that yes, imagination is the start, but I'm also wondering how do you make it happen on a larger scale? I'm glad you mentioned A, B, C, Bob, because in many ways you're talking about some problems, some challenges, some disorder that exists in society, and you're saying, how do we solve it? And you're going from A to Z. But let me suggest to you this. The historian Tacitus said that history offers hope. He reminds us and he says that one of the purposes of history is to rescue virtuous actions from oblivion. We read about the histories of people who acted and did things that had never been done before. You know, it's sort of like before the Twin Towers or any great edifice was built within the mind of a human being, they had a vision. A vision comes for our creativity. What do I see? In the narrative of the United States, 
when we were when we were focused mainly and 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 living basically on the eastern part of the United States, we had a vision, whether it was a correct vision or not in the eyes of other people, but we had manifest destiny about growth. That was something involving applying our imagination of what we could be to our thinking and society, and then going out and building according to that vision. You know, we're we're talking about a podcast here called Having New Eyes. I'm saying my firm belief is that unless we have new eyes to look upon these issues, which we are now confronting, we're going to look at old ways of establishing them. We're going to look at old models and whether we look to history, as Tacitus says, and look at the virtuous actions that have gone into oblivion because we don't remember them, let's look at how people were created back then. Let's listen to what John F. Kennedy said. And what did he mean by, don't ask what we can be doing for you right now, but what you might be doing right now for yourself. You know, we have, we have encountered something called cognitive dissonance. Recent article in the Atlantic went into great depth about this, but this is something you learn in education. It's when you have an idea, America, greatest country in the world, yes, freedom, liberty, justice, everything, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden, bad things start to happen or things that you see that challenge that and all of a sudden your mind is, whoop, these things don't fit. These are, these are contrasting, conflicting ideas. And what happens is we find a way to respond to that, whether or not, you know, it might be something as simple as, uh, you know, I smoke cigarettes, okay, but cigarettes cause cancer and they can kill you. Well, then we find ways to either justify it, well, you know, it keeps my weight off and obesity is a bad thing and I don't want to be unhealthy or anything. Or we find new ways within us that we deal with these issues. I, I know that sometimes these can, these can sound like hypotheticals. But from sports to education to business to unemployment to health care to even law enforcement, from parents and home life to Black Lives Matter protesters, we, I see evidence of how people are responding in ways that are new or different that weren't there before because they were having visions of what it meant to go back to a country that defines us as resilient and purposeful and one of the greatest countries on earth. Do you think that as a country, as the United States of America, we're going to be able to restore that semblance or that idea of the American dream in the future, albeit in a different light, to where if we apply some of these kind of techniques, or if we look at things with new eyes, and we use our imagination and try to, oh, and, and we overcome some of these uh, perils, so to speak, that we're, we're facing now, can there be a new American dream? Could we restore that concept? Because I, I guess I'm assuming, and I, I'm I'm assuming that uh, uh, most agree that not so much the American dream is broken, but it just isn't what it was. And I'm not so sure that everyone's looking over here at the United States or up here, down here, however, and thinking, "Yeah, that's uh, that's where I want to be right now," or, or if I could just get to that country, I I could have a chance. I'm sure there's probably some of that because there's still the, uh, you know, the uh, a level of of order here that's better than 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 some or or others. But I wonder, is there a way that we get to a a, a new American dream that is even you know more uh, 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 sought after than it was before? Well, things change, Bob. Things change. I remember just using one example is when we were not a country that used technology in the ways that we use it now. 
In fact, I confess, I can be pretty much a Luddite. Growing up of being in the classroom as a teacher and the way I experienced learning was a live teacher talking to you. Here's the pencil. Here's the paper. We write it. We type it on a piece of paper. We turn it in. And that was what I was accustomed to. It was my old reality. Technology comes in. And I can remember when my first students were bringing a, a laptop into the classroom. And it was like, wait a minute, this is disorder. This is not right. How, how can that be done? And we'd had a discussion with the parents and the child had some learning challenges. And so that was being done. Now I'm reading about how technology allows for American surgeons to use technology and be performing surgery in Japan through another person. I'm reading about how a recent experience I had where I had a quote unquote virtual doctor visit where I could take photos of myself and upload them, which was a term I saying, okay, upload, what does that mean? You know, and send them to my doctor and without having to get in a car manually, drive the car, get over to the doctor's office, park the car, go up the stairs, wait in a waiting room. I, I'm just saying that, you know, there is always, there are always changes being created. And when these changes are being created, people are being, they're using their imagination to find ways to overcome some of the things that confront us. The challenge is not that we're going to solve these, maybe not even in my lifetime, but I do think that we could go from A to B. I think we could go from B to C. I think that for, I believe that for many of us, we get up and we see what's happening right now. It's like the difference between Denny's and Chipotle. You know, you go into Denny's and you say, I want to just have a meal. And you, they, the waitress comes over, she smiles at you, and she drops this book on your table. And there's pages and pages and pages of turning of what to look Lots of at. pictures. Beautiful laminated things of the photos. And this is the special today. And here's the Thursday. And here's the senior special. And here's for breakfast. Here's for lunch. You know, here's for brunch and everything like that. And then you go into Chipotle. Chipotle, Chipotle basically has five things on their menu. You can embellish it with all kinds of chilies and peppers and different types of sauces and everything. But for many of us, our eyes right now are focusing on all of the issues. My gosh, losing my job. And now the kids are going to be at home. And how are they going to get educated? It's, it's a wave of so many things that normally they were operating in an order. There was a flow. And we didn't have to pay so much attention to it. Our, our son or daughter just came and said, you know, I need uh, $20 for the field trip. And we just gave it to them. And that was it. Now, there are no more field trips. What am I going to do? They're going to be staying at home. I just think that Pat, we need to think about, I need to think about, having the eyes to look about the things that were within my realm, and that's usually local. I'm going to think about who I'm going to vote on to be elected senator from my district or representative from my district before I think about that big race that's happening in California. I, I'm going to try and deal with the things that are close to me. And the thing that motivates me is that I am contributing something in my one little piece here, in my section of my region, to benefiting our country. Can it affect the whole country? Well, I do believe that there are like-minded people that are going to go to the polls and vote, or they're going to mail, or they're going to change the way they usually do things, and they're going to go and drop off their ballot right at the town hall, as I did in the last election. I believe that things are... People, if nothing else, maybe it might be the fear of the unknown that might make them do that. It may be pie in the sky to a lot of people. Uh, I, I can accept that. But I do think I do think that as schools begin, which is going to be a big test for us because it's so imminent, that we're going to see how not just creative, but how responsive people are going to work 
together because there's a greater good here, and that's education of their children. It reminds me of the Steve Jobs quote about simplicity. Simple can be harder than complex. You have to work harder to get your thinking clean to make it simple, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. And I think that's the essence of, of uh, kind of what we're talking about here. Yes, there, like you said, there, there are, it's not just one or two or three things. It's everything. But you have to kind of step back and say, what can I do in this moment at this time to take something complex and really look at it and break it down and use my creativity and imagination to do something about it? to change it or to affect change or to at least change myself or change my thinking or at least maybe change the way I look at it. I think that for a lot of people, this could sound very abstract. They are just dealing with too many negatives in their lives right now because of their unemployment, because of their children being home, because they just need to find the next meal. Sometimes I think, and I don't mean to belittle that or to say or minimize that, but it's sort of like what I mentioned before about the Red Sox are in the cellar. You can look at the rest of the season. You can say, they won one last night, you know? And, and I think for many of us that that's what we need to be thinking about because the risk is too great. You know, we have these things called PADs, presidential emergency action documents. These are special powers, going back to our theme of power when we were doing that episode. These are powers that the president can have in certain emergencies, like creating something that really scares me, martial law, detaining people, search and seizure, because they see these certain emergencies that are occurring. And I can't help but think, you know, history teaches us lessons. And one of the things it teaches us, as I've mentioned before, and it's still relevant. Like I said, history doesn't always repeat, but it rhymes. And in 1933 in Germany, when Hitler becomes chancellor and he passes a law, a law is passed called the Enabling Act, and it's technically named the Law to Remedy the distress of people in the right. Hey, count me in. I want, I want my distress remedied. But it was a law that gave so much power that it allowed him eventually to become a dictator. I think for those of us who are that want to be identified as concerned citizens that contribute to the democracy, we have a maybe even greater responsibility to be informed to be able to share and talk with our friends and in some ways, whether it's our children, our friends, our neighbors, to talk and think about, quote unquote, educating them in some of the ways that they can participate. Because look, Bob, there's three kinds of people in society. Get a room together of 100 people. There's already three kinds. I can tell you who they are. There's one group. It's a very small group. I don't know, two, three, four, five, ten. They're leaders. They're leaders. They see something. And they decide to make a decision to do something about what's wrong or what they see or what the challenge is. There's a second group. This is a large, large, very large group. They see something happening and they say, who's the leader? And they look around and say, oh, that person seems to know what they're doing. And they follow them. We're going right now through this in our elections. A lot of us are followers. We say, I'm going to vote, but I have to make a decision. Who am I going to follow? So you've got the small group called the leaders. You got the big group, a lot of us belong to, and uh, uh, we, we follow the leaders when something's happening. Then you've got a third group that basically says, uh, what's happening? They're out of it. They're clueless. We've got them in our country. But you know what? I believe that right now, as we make decisions about this election, we're going to have to say, mm, I don't really want to look and see what the platforms or what they believe. Well, okay. Talk to your neighbor, talk to your friend, interact with other people, because what happens is, is you begin to realize that you may be only a part of the whole, but your part is significant, especially now when we talk about voting 
and getting out because I was so dismayed last time in the 2016 elections when there were many people that said, I didn't know who to vote for, so I didn't vote. Again, I I believe that uh, there's a lot of things occurring that those of us who follow with some information can make an informed choice about how we're going to vote and who we're going to entrust with these powers that will lead us beyond some of these challenges. Maybe we'll just go from step D to step C. I don't know. But that's in the right direction. Are some going to look at the choice of, of voting and following and, and taking that step and saying, no, that's, that's, not the, that's not the right way, or not right way, but that's not the way that I choose. I'm instead going to protest to make my voice heard. How how does that scenario fit in with we're we're assuming these three types of people are either going to vote or not vote, vote one way or, or not one way, or or decide no, you know, I don't I don't even know. I I don't want to even mess with it. It's it's too complicated. But what about the people that say, you know what, unless I stop the process or unless I XYZ to enforce my beliefs that this entire system has to change. I mean, are, are we talking about something? Are we talking about anarchy there? Or are we talking about something that is a viable option, so to speak? It's a it's a tough it's a tough question. It's but I, I think it are we just so laser focused on the status quo? What about the 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 question of someone saying, you know, I'm not going to follow this, this political process, but I'm going to try to change it drastically, or I'm not going, and it's not just, I'm not just trying to say or bring this into politics, but what about, you know, someone that I'm, I'm not going to accept the education system. I'm going to protest it. I'm going to try to drastically change it and quickly. Of course, that's going to happen. You know, that's part of the dynamics within the country. It's part of the dynamic that's going on right now. Ironically, we send, we have recently had uh, troops or federal officers or however you want to term it, it because of people protesting. And yet, you know, this is in our country where we have supported revolutions in other countries, which was born out of revolutions, particularly here in Boston, where uh, people Uh, where the British were confronted. Sure, what you're saying is going to happen, but I have faith in human behavior. And one of the aspects of human behavior is something called herd mentality. We have this herd mentality where we tend to look around and say, Bob, what are you doing in terms of voting? Oh, well, I, you know, went out and got my ballot early and I mailed it. Oh, okay. You know, we follow groups. You know, this whole thing about rituals that I mentioned before, there are certain rituals we're going to maintain. I can remember as a kid saying, hearing my father and mother say, well, we got to get up early because we're going to go vote tomorrow. And there were other fathers and mothers who were getting up, or I don't know whether they got that. Maybe they valued the right to vote more at that time. I don't know. Well, I was copying that. I think people were also, because of this herd mentality, Or sometimes peer pressure, you know, how many times we say, did you vote? And now we've even got these little badges that say, I voted. Okay, don't bug me. You know, I'm I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm following the group and everything. Right. I do think that human, certain aspects of human behavior will kick in. And when they do, somehow, in some way, what's created is something that makes the process work. This is also just not just a test of two candidates. It's a test of the system. That's for sure. And we know there are challenges because of the postal service. We know there are challenges because a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't know. Look at what happened uh, before and how the voting is counted and you win the popular vote. But what's this stuff about the electrical, electrical, <laughs> electoral college? It can be electric. Yes. Uh, And there are people that are not going to participate in that. 
But at the same time, I think to tell you the truth, we ought to look to law enforcement and something that's occurring right now. Hmm. As we know, law enforcement, this is I as I see it, law enforcement has been on the critical end recently of a lot of negative comments because of what happened in the George Floyd incident. And because now people are saying, defund them, reallocate the funding. Don't give them as much funding. Well, one of the things you have to realize is, is that with the economy the way it is, budgets are going to be cut anyway because right. there's Across just the not board. the same amount of funding. Exactly. But of course, law enforcement, like any other entity, the family, the people who are unemployed, businesses, law enforcement, they're getting together as groups and saying, look, these are some ways that we can create change within our department or what we are doing so that we minimize the complaints within our organization. We are doing that. We're using body cameras. We are giving courses on how to counsel people in terms of domestic violence. We're repositioning certain people so that the right people res respond to certain types of incidents rather sending in the SWAT team to a domestic violence. Mm -hmm. This is not the quote unquote answer or solving but what I'm saying is law enforcement who says, this is our identity. This is who we are. We are establishing new priorities to develop an identity that says we're changing. We want to gain your trust. Many times, look, you know, if it bleeds, uh, it, it, it reads. You know, it, it, we want controversy. We don't hear all the stories sometimes, like we do here in Boston, I'm just reading today, about how the local department is saying, well, compared to the rest of the nation, these are the amount of complaints that we had. This is what we are doing. You know, we hear that locally. That's why the local uh, way in which we get our news and learn about things is very important. And again, I think law enforcement is one example, besides educators as well and parents of how we say we've got to respond in new ways because these are new issues and we will have new realities that we didn't always have before. We are in flux. We are changing and it won't happen overnight. Just like I'm hearing that, you know, when we have these elections where we're mail-in votes, we're not going to, we're spoiled. We're not going to know because someone reported it on CNN or whatever channel you watch. It's going to take maybe weeks or even months. Most, most definitely. That may be a new type of quote unquote order for us that if it's not new order, it's changing from the old disorder that we might see. I think when you mentioned that approach to law enforcement change and, and uh, the, the order that we've been accustomed to, it's them taking the that applying that that concept of simplicity it's just in the you know just not so much removing the clutter but digging deep into the complexity of the situation what can we do to to solve this problem ourselves it's almost bringing a fix it how and it's not so much how can we fix it with a band-aid but how can we treat this wound and uh uh, hats off to the to the Boston Police Department. I, I'm seeing a little bit of this locally, and I've mentioned before about this uh, police union contract here in San Antonio, but it, it, it's not up for uh, uh, renewal for another 18 months or so. But it behooves the parties that be, the internal police union and the city council and the community that they serve to fix the problem or to at least address it or to creatively look at you know the complexity of the issues and say what can we do in a simple way to start making positive changes i i, I like that approach i think that is looking at something with new eyes and not just saying well we can't do anything until the the negotiations come up and then we're going to let the city council handle the negotiations and i'll work through by through my council person. 
Well, let's let's turn to film for a moment because sometimes what I rely upon is my eyes may be a little weary, a little old, may not always have as much as imagination in my mind matching what I see, but I can look up on the big screen and I can see through other people's eyes, whether it's looking at Casablanca and watching how Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Berman are acting in this time of crisis. We can always go back and film and watch, given our times in the Postal Service, The Postman with Kevin Costner. Deliver the mail, doggone it, get it through, and he's going to make it. Or, my favorite, in 1950, a film entitled The Bicycle Thief by Victoria De Sica. In 1950, post-war Italy, there's poverty, there's internal decay and corruption and ruin. And a man who's unemployed gets his wife to give the linens and everything that she has of some value, all that's left, so that he can go and take those things and trade them at the pawn shop and get his bicycle out uh, of the pawn shop. And now he can make deliveries. He is making his deliveries and his bicycle is stolen. His bicycle is stolen and he's walking as as. Antonio is walking around with his young son, Bruno, in this powerful black and white film. He's walking around trying to find this thief. But in the process of doing that, he sees a bicycle unattended. And at that moment in the audience, we're thinking ahead. We're thinking about the decision he's going to make. Is he going to maintain some moral integrity in the midst of his poverty and the the country in ruins and everything. Is that going to be how he identifies himself or is it going to be something different? I'm not going to go ahead and tell the rest of the story, but I will say this. I think we're at this point where we have to make some decisions about education and employment and how we get the country going and voting and so on and so on. And it's going to, again, going back, it's about our moral integrity as a American. It's about our identity. It's about who we are. And I have a certain trust in most of Americans to realize that that means something. This is the 75th commemoration of the end of World War II. The displaced people in Europe, uh, Japan, Germany, devastated. We occupied them. Look at those countries now. There's been restoration. It wasn't an easy process, but I guess I believe in the power within us to, if it's not called imagination, whatever it is, to be able to say, I strive for having a positive identity about who I am. Who are we? What does it mean to be an American? And uh, we'll end next week, episode 10 on Autumn in America. And we're almost there. We're getting close. Mid, mid-August, we're, we're pushing it a little bit. But uh, that's, uh, that's going to be a nice, nice finale for season two. Uh, and Jim, I, I, don't, I, I know we touched on a lot of things. I don't know if we... I, I think we opened our eyes a little bit, uh, looked at things a little bit differently in this episode. Uh, it's... When you talk about something like order and disorder, you're you're never going to come to some. I, I don't think a, a conclusion or any type of uh, uh, final notion that's going to be comfortable. You know, that's going to be oh well, we tied a nice little bow on that. Uh, but I I think we've made people think, and uh, that's that's kind of what our our whole point is of this of the podcast. Cognitive dissonance. There you go. Perfect cognitive dissonance. Thank you, Jim, for another great episode. And uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you, Bob. Well, there you have it. And we hope you'll be part of this conversation as we share our thoughts and ideas. Our goal, as Jim says, is to make you think. And after you've thought about each topic, reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at Having New Eyes Podcast and on Twitter at HNE Podcast. Be sure to use the hashtag Having New Eyes or HNE. You've been listening to Having New Eyes, a podcast by Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. 
Download Having New Eyes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play for Android, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio, or on any of your favorite podcast apps. Jim thanks the many students over the decades who were his teachers on a human level. Yes, he was making mental notes. Bob would like to thank his family and the many coaches, teachers, and mentors for the support, encouragement, and inspiration. Find him on Twitter at Bob H. Web Design. Some portions of today's program may have been pre-recorded. Music by Jay Kleiner from the album I Am Me, live from the living room. Stream Jay's music on SoundCloud.com. H&E is recorded in San Antonio, Texas. Audio engineer is Jason Barrera. Executive producer, Bob Hotard. All rights reserved. I'm Becky Steinmetz. Remember, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.